Well, good morning. It is great to be with everybody this morning. Uh, I might be a little antsy up here this morning. Somebody posted on the church Facebook group page that like we should treat today like Super Bowl Sunday and pour Gatorade on the pastor if he makes a really good point. So I'm not going to say anything worthwhile this morning just so I stay dry, but no, I'm totally kidding. I'm praying that the Spirit is moving this morning. So if you'll just join me, uh, we'll go ahead and pray that God just fill this place. So Father God, we thank you so much that we just get to come before you, God, together, that we can open our hearts. And God, as we've just saying, how worthy, how holy God, how deserving you are of not just this time, but every moment of our lives. God, I just pray that we realize who you are, that we give you everything that we have. And God, yes, there's a football game today, but God, may that not distract us from the real importance of living a life for you and what you are calling us to be, what you are calling us to do. And so God, I just pray that as we come here, open up our hearts. Let the words of my mouth be what you have to say. And God, let it fall on hearts that are just eager for your word. May we desire what you have to say more than the meals that we eat. God, may we seek to live, to glorify you in everything. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So in 2013, I got a little crazy and a friend of mine convinced me to run a half marathon. For those of you who don't know, a half marathon is 13.1 miles because 13.2 is crazy. So they cut it off at 13.1 for some reason. And it really made me think of Proverbs 28.1 that says, the wicked flee when no one pursues them. And I really like the way like the NIV says it, where it's like the wicked run when nobody's chasing. And so it was just like, I was preparing for this run. I had a running buddy. We met like three times a week. And at first we started running like two miles. And I was like, sweet, if this is all I have to run, I can do this. And then my running buddy, who was my mom's best friend, she informed me that we were actually going to have to end up running like 10 miles a day for multiple days in a row. And then I regretted that I had committed to this. You know, God's word says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. And it's like, I really don't like that passage right now because I really want to back out of this. But it was here where I was just like, we we committed ourselves to training for this. And I really wondered, am I going to survive this? Am I going to be able to run 13.1 miles? And in order to be able to complete the marathon or half marathon, let's not get really crazy. In order to complete the half marathon, you had to train for it. Nobody that I know of is just going to wake up and be like, I feel like running 13.1 miles today without any training. And if you are, you're crazy. Like, I don't know who you are because that's just insane. But whenever you think of doing something like that, you have to put in the work. You know, so many athletes, like right now, Super Bowl Sunday, those athletes didn't just wake up and say, hey, we're going to the Super Bowl today. But instead, for the last year, they have been training their body. They have been working. They've been uh, looking at what they're putting into their body as far as food. They've been going to the gym. They've been training. They have been trying to be ready for this moment. 
And we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, that while bodily training is of some value, spiritual training is of eternal value. And so as believers, when we gather together this morning and as we're going through our lives, as much as we try and take care of our bodies— We need to not forget our spiritual bodies. We need to be training spiritually every single day. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 through 25 tells us, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, we do it to receive an imperishable. And so we are here to train, to prepare, and to get ready for an eternal life. Every single day, we need to be training ourselves. Because just like those uh, professional athletes, they don't take a lot of days off. Even, quote-unquote, off-season, they're still training. And as Christians, we need to constantly be training ourselves because I don't know what the future holds, but I feel just looking at everything, and this is not political, this is that America has become more and more hostile towards Christians. And so I don't know what the future holds, but I feel like we are about to have our faith be tested. I mean, some of us already are. Because there's a saying in the military, and the saying goes, hard times make strong men, strong men make easy times, easy times make soft men, and soft men make hard times. And I believe the same thing can be said for Christians, that hard times make strong Christians, and easy times make for soft Christians, make for weak Christians, make for cultural Christians. And in America, we've really had an easy time. I love America. I love this nation. But I also fear that what American Christians are doing is starting to say, I'm an American first and foremost, and then I'm a Christian. So don't interfere with my American beliefs, even if it means chipping away at my Christian beliefs. And we have seen up up until this point, really, in my lifetime, there hasn't been a lot of pushback on Christian beliefs. But we're starting to see that that is coming more and more, and it's becoming more and more of the norm. And really, we've been seeing that, I mean, like my entire life for the last uh, however old America is since, (laughs) I'm not even going to say the date because I'll get it wrong, 1776, I got it right. But ever since 1776, we've had the freedom to worship. But the problem is when things are free, they start getting taken advantage of. We start seeing them as, well, that's not really, I deserve that. So it's not that important of a thing because it's what I have. It is my freedom. And so I see that in the Christian world where we start seeing that the freedom of worship becomes something, eh, it's, it's free. I can have it whenever I want. It's really not that important. And is our faith being tested that much? Are we really stepping out and doing spiritual training that is of eternal value? Or are we just relying on our freedom? Whoa, don't make me uncomfortable. Don't expect me to step outside of my comfort zone because I don't like that. Where God is telling us, hey, be devoted and committed to me above anything else. 
So even if they take your freedom, live for Christ above anything. And Jesus even told us that because he was persecuted, we're going to be persecuted too. In John 15, 20, Jesus said this, Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And now the people in China, they totally understand this. Wayne Cordero, he's a pastor out of Honolulu, and he went to China to do like this leadership training. Um, I think this was back in 2013. And as he's sitting there, he's talking to about 22 church leaders in China. And he's talking to them and he's like, hey, so if they come in here, what's going to happen to me? And the, peop- the, the Chinese church leaders, they were like, oh, if they come in here, you'll be deported within 24 hours. And he was like, oh, okay, well, what's going to happen to you? And they're like, well, if they come in here, we'll be arrested for two to three years. And he was like, wow, how many of you have actually been arrested? 18 out of the 22 had been arrested. And then he was there and he was like, man, like how many people are you in charge of? And so they kind of sit there and they do all the math. And between those 22 small group leaders, 20 million people were represented. They oversaw 20 million people. And so here they traveled 13 hours to sit in an unair conditioned room for 20 or for 12 hours that day so that they could hear the word of God. And so what happened is Wayne, he started passing out Bibles and they only had 15 Bibles. And so he's passing these Bibles out and he noticed this one lady, she took one and passed it along and he kind of noted that and thought it was interesting. And then as it comes time there in first Peter and he realized she didn't need a Bible because she had the entire thing memorized. Whenever they came to first Peter, she knew exactly where they were at and she just flowed right along quoting it. And so afterwards he talked to her and he was like, how did you memorize all of first Peter? And she was like, well, you see, when you get arrested and you're in prison, you have a lot of free time. And so she was like, people brought me a Bible and I started memorizing it. And Wayne was like, yeah, well, wouldn't they take your Bible? And she was like, yes. And so then people bring me a piece of paper and I would start memorizing scripture on that paper. And he was like, wouldn't they take that piece of paper? And she was like, yes, that's why you memorize fast so that you can have it because they can take your piece of paper, but they can't take what's hidden in your heart. And Wayne was like, wow. And so then he, they went through and they did three days of this training. And at the very end, he was like, hey, how can I pray for you guys? And they were like, oh, in America, you get to worship freely. You don't have to worry about being arrested. We want to be like you. And Wayne was like, I'm not going to pray that. And everybody's like, what? Like, he's not going to pray that? And when was like, no, you see, you guys travel 13 hours to come sit in an unair conditioned room. We have people who won't even travel an hour to hear the word of God. You guys sit on hard floors. And we have people where if the pews aren't comfortable enough, they won't come hear the word of God. You guys have no air conditioning and we have people where if it's not right, they won't come. And Wayne was like, no, I'm not going to pray that you guys become like us. I'm going to pray that we become like you because you have that hunger. You have that desire. You don't even have the word of God and you are still memorizing it. You could lose your life and you're willing to still go for it because they have been training for that time. They see that while bodily training is of some importance, spiritual training is of eternal value. And they are hungering and longing for that food, for that spiritual food. 
And here in America, cultural Christianity has become a big thing where it's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to act on it, but I'm a Christian. That's good enough. I don't need to really let people know I'm a Christian. I don't need to live my life in that sense. Cultural Christianity wants Jesus to just be our Savior and not our Lord. It's like, hey, I just want Jesus to save me from eternal hell, but don't tell me what to do. Give me the benefits without the relationship. Whereas what God is calling is he's saying, hey, make me Lord of your life. Let me call the shot in every area. Let me tell you how to live your life. Uh, R.C. or John Hagee, sorry. John Hagee made the statement one time. He said, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would you be found guilty? Is there enough evidence against your life that you are living so profoundly for Christ that people are like, yeah, he is definitely a Christian. If you were on trial for your faith, is there enough evidence to find you guilty of being a Christian? Because a lot of American Christians, like I said, we want to be American first and then Christian second. That's, we would never say that, but that's how lives are lived. Where it's like, don't interfere with my day-to-day life. Let's not make Christ Lord. He can be my Savior, but he's not my Lord. Whereas Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, he says, you should let your light shine before all men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God wants us to be displaying him to everybody that we encounter. He wants to be the light in our hearts. He wants to be the one that we display to everyone. And again, opposition is not far away. I mean, just, I got on Twitter because I get news really quick on Twitter and the Christian voices that are being silenced because they're speaking truth. They're not saying anything hateful. They're just speaking truth is astounding. Focus on the family. They just got removed from Twitter because President Biden put, uh, oh my goodness, I forgot what the person's name is, but it's like the secretary of health who is a transgender. And so focus on the family said, President Biden appoints first transgender woman. And then they said, who is a man thinking they're a woman. All they did was define it. And Twitter was like, you're gone. That's hate speech. So again, are Christians prepared for this? Are we training ourselves for what might be coming down the pipe? for what might be coming our way. Because again, Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse nine, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and they will put you to death and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. We will be hated because of whose we are. That when we have Jesus, people are gonna be like, man, we hate them. Are we prepared for that? Are we living for Christ to where we are standing apart or instead are we just a part of society where we fit in in everything? Are we truly prepared for what might come? The great theologian Mike Tyson, 
he had an amazing statement. He said, everybody has a plan. And I was going to do a Mike Tyson voice, but I can't. But he's like, (laughs) can't do it. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And it's like, as Christians, it's like, yeah, I'm going to stand for Jesus. I am ready to give my life for Jesus when that day comes. He's asking for you to give your life for him today. He is ready for you to give your life today. He says, if anybody wants to follow after me, let them deny themselves daily. Take up their cross and follow me. It's not something we do down the road. It's something he's saying right here, right now, die to yourself and be resurrected to me. So when I ask you, command you to do something, you do it. Because he is not just our savior, he is Lord of our lives. And so whenever we're going through difficult times, we can look back at those times and those times really show us where our faith was. What were we relying on in that difficult time? Because again, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And then it's like, wait a minute, I I was not relying on my training. I was not relying on Jesus because when that moment hit, everything fell apart. Or we can look back and be like, man, on Christ the solid rock, I stand. Because he is what I was relying on. And I came out of that because Jesus was my firm foundation. So who are we standing on? We're, we're actually, when you read through the New Testament, we're promised that if we're living for Christ, difficulties are going to come our way. First Peter Verse, or chapter 1, verse 6. Peter actually tells us in this rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing of, or so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James tells us, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then Peter again says in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But instead, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're actually blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Like we're actually told, hey, when, when troubles and trials and tribulations come upon us, he says you should rejoice. You should give God glory. You should take joy in that. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. How do we do that? Because uh, Paul has been writing to the church in Thessalonica who has been really concerned because they're starting to face some of these persecutions, some sufferings, and they're really wondering, hey, have, have we missed out on Jesus? Has the tribulation already come and we're stuck here to go through all of this? And then Paul writes to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Paul says, rejoice always, 
pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul tells us, hey, when you're going through difficulties in this world, these are three things that you should do. You should rejoice always. You should pray without ceasing, and you should give thanks in all circumstances. Paul, when he was writing to the Philippian church, he was actually in prison. And yet the book of Philippians or the letter of Philippians has the word joy more than any other book in the Bible. It continually repeats joy. Rejoice, Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And Paul's able to rejoice because he's in prison for Christ. He's in prison for the very thing that he is standing up for. It's not because he committed a crime. But it's because he stood up and spoke in the name of Jesus. And yet he says, rejoice. Let me say it again. Rejoice. Because God is good. And he understands where he stands with Jesus. That's how you can rejoice always. When you understand your relationship with God. Because in Philippians 4 verse 11... Paul starts saying, hey, I know what it is to be in difficulties. I know what it is to be in all these hardships. And then he says in verse 13, he says, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's like, I know what it is to be in want and in plenty. I know what it is to be in need and to have enough, to be hungry and to be full. And through it all, I can rejoice because I have Christ. Jesus, he sent out the 72. And they went out and as they came back, man, they were excited people. They were like, Jesus, man, like while we were gone, the demons responded to us. Like, how cool is that? Like we were like, demons, come out. And they came out. That's amazing. Like, man, Jesus, we got some power. And Jesus, he says to them, hey, I saw heaven fall, or not heaven, I saw Satan fall down from heaven with lightning. But then Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But instead he says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That right there gives Christians the biggest reason to rejoice in all circumstances. That your name is written in heaven. That you have an eternal life. So when these difficulties come our way, we have eternity waiting for us. They are just light and momentary afflictions. But we have an eternal life that is waiting for us. But are we prepared to go through light and momentary afflictions? Are we prepared to rejoice our way through them? Because it's not my will to rejoice through difficulties. It is my will to rejoice through good times. But yet God says, this is the will of God, that you rejoice always. But not just rejoice, because in order to rejoice, we have to have the right perspective. We actually have to be able to look at the things worth rejoicing about. Because if you're like me, 
difficulties happen and you just start going down that spiral of gloom and doom. I mean, you have the worst conversations before you even have the actual conversation. It is like, this is every single way that this is going to go bad and all of them are going to happen at the same time and it's going to be like that, just the perfect storm of bad scenarios. That's where my mind goes. Because I start looking at my circumstances. Whereas Paul, he says, rejoice always. And then he says, pray without ceasing. He says to continue to lift your, fo- your focus up to God. That is how we pray without ceasing. We continually remind ourselves who God is and we take our requests to him. We let God know about that. Because again, 2 Corinthians four seventeen through 18, it says this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So we look not to what is going on, but we look to God through prayer. We continually fix our eyes on him. We lift our thoughts to him. We pray to him. We let him know what it is that we are going through. By focusing on the eternal through a constant state of prayer. As Paul said, just pray without ceasing. And again, most of us go to God when things are hard. Like, really, when things are good, we're not honestly thinking about God. I mean, like, you know, I, I don't know through this, through last week, how many times we woke up on a really good day where we knew the schedule was going to be wonderful, and it was like, God, I need you today. Like, I need you today. More, if you're like me again, it's like, God, take a back seat on this one. I got things under control, which is the wrong view, because I don't have things under control. Because I get that text message, we need to talk. And it's like, oh, God help me. I need help right now. But we, we need to go to God, not just in the bad times, but in the good times as well. We need to constantly, without ceasing, pray to God. Because God desires for us to continually be in conversation with him. And the question might be, but doesn't God already know everything? Why should I pray? Because when we pray, it is focusing our hearts on God. It is fixing our eyes on him. Philippians 4 verse 6, Paul tells us, let me find it. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Through everything, even the hard times, even the good times, let your requests be made known to God. So I got a challenge for you this week. Take something that you love be it watching TV, be it your nightly whatever news uh, articles, be it looking at Facebook, whatever it is, pick something that you love. And every time you think about kicking on the TV or flipping through Facebook or whatever it is, don't do it. Fast from that and instead pray to God. Draw near to him. So even if there's a 30-minute show that you love to watch, 
just shut off that 30-minute show and be like, God, for this 30 minutes, I'm just going to come to you and I'm going to pray to you. Things are good, God. I'm going to give you praise for how good things are. Or things are horrible, God. I need you. Instead of shutting off my mind with television and this uh, not even having to think through stuff, God, I'm going to direct my thoughts to you. Or if it's scrolling through Facebook or whatever it is, food, coffee, if that's your thing, like whatever it is, somebody's shaking their head no, like yeah. But whatever it is, I challenge you, join me in this. Get rid of something for this week. And every time you think of going to that, instead, go to God in prayer. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. And then Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. And again, as Christians, even with all the negativity that is going on, your life would probably be happier if you did not turn on the news or scroll through Facebook. You might find that you have more joy if you did that. But even with all that negativity, we as believers have reason to give thanks. We have far more to be thankful for than everything negative in the world combined. So you take all the negativity in the world, you sum it all up together, and yet we have far more to be thankful for as believers. Why? Because you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and yet God made you alive together with Christ. You are now a new creation. You have an eternal hope set in Christ. Everything negative going on is a momentary affliction compared to the eternal life that we have with Jesus. That is worth giving thanks for. Regardless of what you're going through, you can still find reason. Because Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. Good, bad, hard, easy. Give thanks because Jesus, no matter what goes on, is still on the throne. And we have an almighty Lord who is calling us to a life lived for him. We have an eternal life. But you realize it's not because of who you are. Like your eternity, this heaven that I get to look forward to is not because I'm a good person. It's not even because I get up here and preach the word of God. It is nothing because of what I do. It is all because of what Jesus has done. He paid a debt that even after he paid it, he wasn't like, now pay me back. Because there's no way we ever could. Jesus shares the parable of the manager or the servant, uh, where the guy owed his master what is the equivalent of a billion dollars. I haven't even made a billion dollars in my lifetime, and if I live to be 350 years old, I still won't make a billion dollars in my lifetime. Like, that is an unpayable debt. And yet the master said, you're forgiven. That's what we owe to Jesus. I mean, now a billion dollars is like Bill Gates, he has that. Think about a trillion. Think of the national debt that we have. It is continually going higher and higher. Yet, that is what our sin was to God. And he said, I'm going to pay it all. And you don't owe me anything. All you have to do is receive 
me. Receive what my son Jesus did on the cross for you. John 1, 12 says, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but you were born of God. It's because of what God did. All we have to do is receive him because we can never pay that debt back. And yet he gave us an eternal inheritance. He didn't just say, hey, your debt's canceled. He said, your debt's canceled. Now let me give you a mansion. Now let me give you an eternal life. It would be one thing for him to just be like, all right, you don't have to go to hell, but you're not going to live anymore. You're going to cease to exist. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you an eternal life lived in glory. Is that not reason to give thanks in all circumstances? I mean, when we truly grasp that, again, as American Christians, our faith can start taking a back seat and we can be like, yep, I've heard the gospel message before. I've heard it a lot. And it's like, no, no. If that's your view of it, we don't understand it. The gospel message should bring us to our knees every single day because we should fully grasp the sacrifice that Christ made because my sin today put Jesus on the cross. And yet he still forgives me. Your sin put Jesus on the cross and yet Jesus forgives you. And then he says, I give you an eternal life if you receive me, if you believe in me. And he says, when you truly understand that, you're going to be able to give thanks in all circumstances. It's like, man, I can't stand my coworker, but praise God, he is working in me. And like, I can share the gospel with him now because that is something that God is amazing at doing, taking broken relationships and uniting them under Jesus. And so it's like, I don't like my coworker, but I'm going to share the gospel with them because when I understand what Jesus did for me, it changes that relationship entirely. Because again, going back to that master who forgave his servant the billion dollars, that servant left and he found somebody that owed him money and it was like $200. And he said, throw him in prison. He can't pay me back. He was unforgiving because he did not understand how much he had been forgiven. When we understand how much we've been forgiven, we forgive. We don't hold on to bitterness. We don't hold on to anger and hatred. We are able to let it go and hope that they find a relationship with Christ. So this is God's will for your life. When things are good, give thanks always, rejoice in all circumstances, and pray without ceasing. When things are bad, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for your life. And we're able to do that when we grasp that Jesus is not just our Savior, but He is Lord. He's not just wanting to say, when you die, you can have heaven, but He's wanting to say, I want to give you eternal life here and now. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and your son whom you have sent. Eternal life starts now, when we realize who God is. And when we realize that, again, we can rejoice 
always pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. Because as Jesus said, do not rejoice even if the spirits become subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then John 1, 12, Jesus says, this is how your names can be written in heaven. For those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called sons of God. Jesus is saying, hey, if you have not received me, I'm here for you to receive. I have already paved the way. I have done everything possible. All you have to do is receive it and believe. And then I want to come into your life and I want to become Lord. And I want to show you, as John 10, 10 says, that Jesus came to give you life and life abundantly. If you think the Christian life is dull and boring, you're living it wrong. You are not realizing the joy of living for Jesus. And I would almost say, if you think the Christian life is boring, you don't have that relationship with Jesus. You're missing out on the true source of joy. Because Paul, in prison, could say, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. So while bodily training is of some value, let's dedicate ourselves to spiritual training, which is of eternal value. And then we will be able to handle whatever life throws at us. Because we will have our eyes fixed on what truly matters, and that is Jesus. Father God, thank you again that you have paid the price. God, you, you have done everything to where we, we can't pay you back. But yet, God, you, you not only canceled our debt, but God, you gave us an inheritance. And we thank you for that. And God, I pray that the gospel just continually grow in our hearts, that we continually see who you are more and more. God, let us not look at our circumstances, but let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And God, if there be anybody here who has not received eternal salvation found in that name, God, let them know that it is readily available to them, that you want to enter their hearts. And as you say in Ezekiel, take their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh. So God, give them the courage to hand everything over to you. May we all continually die to ourselves daily, pick up our cross and follow you wherever it is that you are calling us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray.